0: Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the Internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com.
1: Wow, what an uplifting beat, Lilia! Ow! Hey everyone, you're listening to Full Service Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. We're here every week at 2 p.m. and you're listening to District Durkas.
0: Durka, Durka, Muhammad Jihad.
1: So everyone, Adirka from Yemen, that's me, Sama, and Adirka from Algeria, that's Lilia. Aloha, everyone. We live in the District of Columbia and we get together every Thursday to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Our topics include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, et cetera, and all the prisms and schisms in between. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is our eighth or so Here episode. We yeah. we're, we're not keeping good track. Uh, but we do know that last week was our Women's Day episode where we got to talk a little bit about being woman. And this week, we're actually going to bring the subject back to full circle. And we're going to talk about why we as Durka woman, or Middle Eastern woman, or brown woman, chose to stay in D.C., the capital of the United States, which is where we're based, where we meet every week and is going to be the subject of our episode. Yeah. Explore the district part of the
2: district Dirkas, so uh, how should what? we approach this i don't know but i definitely yeah uh, yeah how should we approach this well maybe with the first time we came to dc interacted the well let me ask you something DC, how we
1: did you move to dc or did you visit dc before you moved to it
2: no i moved here
1: just moved i like moved not here with my
2: parents my my in in a diplomatic capacity okay. i followed my parents here
1: okay i see at T-
2: first. To Washington, D.C. Yes. specifically. Then I left and I came back. So so then twice. you came back willingly. Willingly. I came back willingly twice, but I also left.
1: Okay. <laughs> so your parents came here in a diplomatic capacity. Correct. Yes. So that kind of makes sense for D.C. I feel like a lot of people I know come here for a diplomatic capacity. That is, again, the capital of the United States. So you have a lot of that. I think a lot of diplomats are either based in New York because of diplomacy with the U.N., or here for the American government.
2: Yeah, I'm the non-transient, uh, transient. Basically. So, how long did your parents stay here? Well, they stayed a couple.
1: They stayed a couple years. It was a very short, uh, short term. So, I do have a lot of friends whose parents were diplomats, and then they do end up to D.C. because I guess they had some experience with it, so it's familiar. And out of all the other states, they'd be like, I'd rather go back to something that's somewhat familiar.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I did go back. I went, to, I went to Britain. I went to England for a bit. And then I came back here because I wanted to go to an American
1: university. That's how I pursued. And you went to London? But, yeah, I went to London. Which is Lond- another, like, capital Durka city.
2: Yeah, but the truth is, the reason why... Well, when I came to D.C., uh, while well, I was in... Yeah, anyway... It was kind of a dream. It was coming here. I lived in London before. It was a very tough city that I love. But coming here, and I was in Maryland and Bethesda. Everything was green. I loved my high school. Like, we had the freaking yellow buses. You were here lock- for
1: high school? I didn't yeah. even know this about
2: you. <laughs> yeah. We had lockers. Like, it was. You went to an American school, not a French school? No, no. I went to a French school, but it's still uh, in Bethesda. So it still had some of the attributes. So I could vicariously live the high school American dream that I had seen in popular culture all my life. So, it was great. And there was no context here in D.C. for being North African. I think that's why I came back. Because when I went back to Europe, I was confronted to, again, the stigma of the post-colonialism that's very vibrant there. Or so I felt. Mm -hmm. So, coming here was nice because I was incognito. Nobody... I said Algeria. Like, what?
1: Yeah. I mean, though everything is Moroccan this, Moroccan that, people didn't really... And it's the capital. It's like the biggest city, right? Like it's the biggest country in North Africa. Is yes,
2: yes, it is. I, I mean, it was to the point where I had my spiel ready when people asked me. I was like, "I'm from Algeria, North Africa. It's between Morocco and Tunisia." So it's you you
1: educated. Th-
2: <laughs> yes, but that that had that backfired once. Um, so DC is also the place where I met other Dirkas, namely people from the Gulf, mm-hmm. which somehow avoided me or I avoided them all my life until I came to DC. Which is
1: funny at the most people I've met from the Gulf even though I'm technically near them like my country is in the Arabian Peninsula but the majority of people I've met from the Gulf was again in DC. Yeah
2: so I I had my best friend from high school she had her she did her coming out and my person from the Gulf my friend also so we started to seek resources which weren't available as you know high school didn't have anything Mm -hmm. so we had to seek in colleges and we found this lgbt uh, you know group at american university and so we went there we introduced ourselves where are you from from algeria it's between morocco and tunisia north africa and then this girl is like i know where algeria is you big cunt Wow. Yeah, but I didn't know what a cunt was. I
1: I knew by the way she Why said it. Why was it so aggressive?
2: Because I it was I realized that it was a little patronizing. I couldn't just assume that people didn't all know. didn't know anything. Yes. So yeah. I, I mean, to, I guess it was a wake- she good wake-up call for you that yes. some people are she educated. The nuance about DC like you can't just
1: expect everybody to not. No, No. we
2: became friends after that, and I learned a new word in English, so.
1: But isn't that the difference between suburban life and city life? And I think that's kind of what's unique about D.C. D.C. is so small that a lot of people, when you meet them, where you're from, you're from D.C., and then they go like, no, actually, technically, I'm from Woodbridge. I'm from uh, blah, blah, blah in Maryland. And it's like, wait, that's technically suburban parts that are surrounding the capital. So D.C. to me is a very interesting place in that it's small, but you get the benefits of having a suburban home, a bigger home, parking. Like it's not necessarily city, city life. So you get a break from the city, within the city. Yes. Um, yes and yes. to me, that's quite fascinating because my first American experience, just like you, was kind of high school based. And I think a lot of Durkas around the world, like anywhere in the world you get, you know, if you want good education, you send your kids to the American school. And through that students are kind of exposed to american culture they meet american teachers cuz the you know the more authentic you want your school to be the more you're likely to hire teachers from the united states and so my experience with that was actually in the netherlands in europe and my school was american but i was just suddenly exposed to all these american things and all the american students that i met in the netherlands were all america this america that america oh my god america and and they hyped it up so much that I was so excited to see America, and I've never been to the United States before the age of 17. And so, the first time I came to America, I actually went with my mother's friend and her children to Orlando because she wanted to take her kids to Disney. (laughs) And so, we landed in Orlando, and so I came via Heathrow. And I've, uh, you know, like I was blessed at a younger age to travel a lot and to be able to see a lot of the world, and especially the developed part of the world. And so when I landed in Orlando, I was shocked. You know, like here I am so excited to see America. But the first thing that I got was like, wait, this airport is so like underdeveloped. You know, I had to carry my luggage, which was a lot um, through. And there was no one to help me pick it up. And there's no one you can pay to like for assistance. And it was just it's just such a bizarre experience. Like walking into Orlando was like a reality check right in the face where it was just like, whoa. America is not all they say it is. And then um, I spent a week in Orlando where I got to see mothers who looked younger and more beautiful than me at the age of 17. And it was just like, wow, there's like this, this specific type of mother that I don't see anywhere uh, except, I guess, in Orlando. And um, right after that, I immediately went to New York. And then I was shocked again because here I am in a city where it was like nonstop movement a lot of hustle and bustle. And um, I remember that my mother was living in New York and um, my mother and my stepdad took me to their home and they lived on the 37th floor of a building. And I remember when I was in the apartment that I was constantly dizzy looking at the city around me. And there was my second cultural shock, I guess, where I was like, wow, the city is really amazing and different. And oh, my God, I'm so dizzy. I have to sit down. I can't look at anything. Um, And that same day, the first day I arrived to New York, I was taken to Times Square and it was just so crowded and there are lights everywhere and there's noise. And I was like, oh, my God, like I need to hide somewhere. And at the same time, what's so beautiful about New York is. You're with so many people, yet you're so alone at the same time. Like you can you can walk around with so many people, yet you can have very very a very private experience, very private thoughts. Very, it, it was just fascinating. And so for me, I'm going to tie this into why I came to DC. It was to get away from my family, <laughs> even though they were lovely. Um, in a sense, I I was still going through a rebellious phase, and I had so many freedoms. Uh, Growing up But I still wanted That extra bit of freedom I really wanted to be Out there on my own Uh, Years later I regretted that Because I realized How hard it is To be on your own And how much work You have to put in it's not just You know You're out there And you're on your own Like there are Responsibilities that come with it And I think at that age I didn't think about Any of that I just wanted Independence And so D.C. was the safest place To go and study But it was Like a bus away Or a train stop away From New York Like It was It was great to be close to my family but a place that is uniquely mine a space that is uniquely mine but that was 12 years ago you know uh looking back at it it's kind of hard because at different phases there were definite attempts of escaping the city yet i'm i'm here
2: yeah same i did escape but i escaped on the other side of the atlantic i wanted to give europe Another chance, like, twice. First, because I wanted to be closer to my parents. I have no reason to be that far. But then I just couldn't take uh, the mentality, like, working in Europe. Well, how, take, long, how long have you been here? Taking acting classes there was fine. But working for government there wasn't. I had to always justify why I spoke French well. There was all this systemic racism. And I, I'm, I'm Algerian. Like, I only have my, my green passports. So I'm also limited by these metrics. So I'm not French, Algerian, or American. So how,
1: how many years have you been here? A long time. What's a long time?
2: It's sizable. High school, left, came back. Left again,
1: came back. So let's, let's try to make an estimate of years Oh, that's not.
2: Oh, that, that's secretive, <laughs> huh? Yeah, a little bit. You won't catch me on the podcast if I haven't
1: told you outside of it. I think I know outside of it. I but
0: respect but your hustle, though, much.
1: <laughs> I know. It was a good try there um so let me let me just say something about dc yeah it's a city that you hate and then you love to hate and then you love to love
2: yeah i i loved dc i instantly i really loved it it's only now that sometimes i try to question myself because i really love this place so you loved it from the get-go no i loved it from the get-go yes okay so i hated it I really loved the trees. I was like, I get to be in a city. Also, I was constantly in Europe. So I was in these big cities, really cosmopolitan. This was a breather.
1: So is it safe to say that a lot of Durkas who end up in D.C. were probably like their family was traveling in some international capacity, have been to so many cities and then somehow found themselves in D.C.? I think if you want to map, there are two different Dur- Durkas in D.C. They're the ones who are born and raised.
2: Yeah. and then there are the ones who like us came like at first some generation point.
1: second generation and immigrants I think, yes the
2: people you meet in college or in high school probably you can map US
1: DERCA interests somewhere there okay there. so like foreign policy yes. and politics and definitely affiliation and I think that's why I hated DC that was like my my sense that DC saturated with politics and one of the very things that I hated was that anywhere you go the first thing people ask you is oh so what do you do and it wasn't to know who you are but it was rather to see how you're both connected to politics somehow yeah. and how it could benefit you both you know every culture has a form of that like whether they ask for your name if it's, it's last name it, right it depends like on we th- have that in the middle east you know right? it's like status. what's your last name so everybody's
2: going to ask for your status and when you're studying they ask you what you're studying what university it depends on like which yeah bracket you're from and you will get that i don't think it's dc specific but what i've what i've learned in dc is the fuller range of my darkness being algerian i can cut off the middle east very easily yeah yeah exactly sure uh, without cutting it off there's some access like obviously caring for palestine caring for the levant but as far as the gulf is concerned i've always maintained distance maintain yes distance okay. which i was confronted to that in dc i wouldn't have where i was in a
1: french system. why do you think you're confronted with that well, because in the French system, you're going to get the French-speaking... No, no, no. Why are you conf- Why are you confronted with the Gulf in D.C.? Like, how did it confront you? And in what capacity? Well, when you change to
2: an English-speaking zone, you get all the former Middle Eastern British protectorate or... So you're getting more of the English-speaking and usually people from the Gulf coincide um, but, with...
1: But, you know, interestingly enough, if you think of British colonization, I think of Egypt... Yes. I think of Palestine I think of and I would like, say DC introduced me to a lot of e- Egyptian Kuwaitis mm-hmm. uh, Saudis all my life it was more Saudi Christian Lebanese technically was never colonized colonized by I the mean British. it was it was the only land technically that was free of all of these things I mean it was colonized by it actually was the Saud and the Wahhabs with the help of the British well so that wouldn't be in a way to I creation. mean to a Saudi they wouldn't look at it that way right it would be those are the monarchs of their country who kind of Made it a state, you know. So it just depends on how you look at it. Um, but they speak English. Like most Saudis speak English. Most I think people from the Emirates
2: speak English as much as they want to see us as like but the that's French-speaking because zone English- because of colonization. No, they no. But you also- speak English
1: too because it's the main language used. No, because I expanded. Because I wanted to get out of that. No, no, no. French I think zone. you can't live in America and not speak English for that long. Like you can't get away with it for too long. No, but I picked to remove myself from a strictly.
2: French speaking zone I wanted to disenclave is that even a word I
1: wanted to free myself from sure so when I came to DC I was a university student and I was going through a really hard time emotionally because my father had just passed away and then I was suddenly confronted with a new culture that was very different to the culture that I grew up in and I was suddenly trying to discover who I am which I think all, all in all kind of put me in an existential crisis mode. And I think that existential crisis allowed me to break free. I think if I didn't have that crisis, I would have went to university, got my degree, went to get my master's somewhere else and probably did the like, you know, the I had like this 10 step program to follow. But because of the existential crisis, I had an opportunity to break free and question why am I in the school? Is it just because that's what elite girls do? You know, like you go to a good school, you get a degree and you progress forward and you make your family proud. Because, you know, if you're free, you want to make up for your freedom by making your family proud with degrees and with achievement. Um, And so it allowed me to break free and work with the restaurant industry in D.C. And I think that allowed me to see a side of D.C. that is not mobile like the international one. Unlike the diplomats and everything else, the D.C. restaurant industry is very much grassroots at this point you know in the past 10 years 12 years they found a place for themselves they've expanded and they really are the people who keep the city interesting to me Um, and so through that scene uh, I was able to realize that there was like specific nightlife positions for for Middle Easterners and for Durkas in general and one of the fascinating things to me was that Like in the news, there's tension between Iran and Saudi Arabia and there's this and that and they hate each other. Saudi-Iranian proxy war. But it's so funny that in reality, in my personal experience, every time I would run into like a Saudi and Iranian wasn't that like far behind and they somehow would like hang out together and there's this weird attraction between like iranian men and women and saudi men and women and it's just like to me it was so fascinating how the city allows for that to occur and it's natural and it's part of like the social life yeah we're all here representing the two
2: sides of our narrative our native narrative. yeah but there isn't conflict i it, know there's just hang now war in afghanistan but most of a lot of the restaurants and
1: clubs are owned by afghans in dc they're yeah. part of the the DC nightlife which I think a lot of people don't know a lot of people in DC don't know that a lot of the nightclubs they go to are actually Afghani owned including 18th street lounge yes which is the longest standing one of the longest standing clubs absolutely
2: renowned prestigious so they're also very
1: like if you look at U street it's also a lot of places there have that kind of investment going in for sure and then um, suddenly you started having like Saudi investment in restaurants as well which is interesting. And by the way, here, let me shock you because it's an amazing place where they have Saudi investment. Uh, Daikaya. Yeah. Um, All the the noodle places. Well, Daikaya is Afghan as well.
2: So, I'm so not surprised Afghans that Saudi. it's a dirka deal but the city center that was a big
1: <laughs> city center is qatari funded yes. which a lot of people don't yeah. know again so yeah it's, it's to me it's, but to when me I, it, walk, it I walk i walk in irony it screams middle east i though. cannot even stand it i
2: it, walk and i'm like all these people consuming this is qatar financed you know what and it we reminds know what other me things they finance you know
1: that part in Bethesda Chevy Chase with all these fancy stores with the Gucci and whatever, but it 's kind of like dying because there aren't there isn 't yeah, enough traffic city for center it. now they 've all yeah no, but there wasn 't enough traffic like when I went there, it felt like a trip, you know like I have to take the metro, like being a Washingtonian, not virginia, not Maryland. i don 't have a car, I have to take the metro and it 's like a day trip like it takes a huge time in my life, but now you can just have it in the heart of d c but it screams Durka at me in that fancy restaurants, really fancy stores, just like um, a lavish display of some sort. You know, you have that fountain and that screen and you really don't have that anywhere else in D.C. Like if you go to Georgetown, it's a very different vibe mm-hmm. than City Center. Jack, have you been to City Center? Uh, no. You haven't?
0: Is that... I'm trying to look it up on a map right now. I'm still new to D.C., so... so. it's where...
1: It's, it's by Chinatown. It's not so far yeah, from Chinatown. Yeah, it's by Chinatown, and it's, like, where they have the Louis Vuitton and oh, the Christian Dior Hermès, you name it. It's
2: weird. It's like a is mall it? in Dubai. It's like an outside mall. <laughs> but it's beautiful.
1: Is it? Like, when the, weather, when the weather is nice, there's that, like, little square it's where no, you scripted. can sit... And you can see kids running around and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of nice. It's like, I'm surprised that Americans didn't try to develop something like this for themselves. And I'm just to wait happy for, for, for DC because it, it was,
2: well, I mean, they tried. Apparently it's been 18 years and Qatar just put the money on it and said, we're, we're yeah. not, we're not, we won't.
1: Business development. Yeah.
2: And then people were like, Yeah, but you're from Qatar, so does that mean there won't be any bars? So little did they know.
1: So when that I came to DC affect- there were there were like a few ways that you can be a Durka in DC, right? You had the Durkas that were born and raised in America, so so like American Durkas and they tend to live in communities and they tend to live in Virginia or Maryland. And they tend to live within close proximity of other family members, a cousin, a nephew, a niece, and they kind of live together, maintain their language. They maintain their culture very much so and then you have the transient durkas the like modern ones who are like trying to influence their in for a few years and they're leaving either to go to school or do their masters or in some diplomatic capacity of some sort and they're ready to move somewhere else and then you have us <laughs> <laughs> well in some, I'm some sort, sort of, of a i know the lost durka the <laughs> durka who has no land but now you, yeah. Now mm-hmm. I have a land, thankfully, yes, you thanks do. to DC. And I'm grateful to DC for that. But at the same time, like, every time I look at the world, there's so many places that I can go. And because I've traveled to so many places, I'm like, do I want to start all over again? And then, I mean, starting over is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful experience. Um, and I think, and this is for my guests, this, I'm, I'm going to overshare for a second. I was married and I got divorced and... Um, when I was divorced, a really good time was like, I, I really wanted to have a new start. And the idea of moving was extremely tempting then because with a divorce, you wanna, you wanna kind of leave the place where you had all these memories. Um, and I was already kind of not so fond of DC just because of the political experience in it. And so I wanted to go somewhere else. And then me being me, I decided that this city is mine. And I will stay in the city. But this was all mental. And lo and behold, my ex husband moved out. He was the one who was having very similar thoughts to me. And I was happy to kind of program myself at the time that I've been here long before I got married. Um, I came here by choice. This is my city. And once I had that mentality that I'm not just passing through the city, I am part of the city. The city welcomed me and now I want to give something back to the city. I began having a very healthy relationship with the District of Columbia and that's when I started discovering all these underground scenes. I started meeting artists. I started meeting actors. I started meeting um, people who were doing much more than just politics and then I met all these people who were just I don't know. It was just a beautiful experience. Like I think once you accept DC as your land, yeah. I think my experience is a little
2: inverted because I accepted DC and I went into the scenes and that was just part of. I've always invested DC and in its different milieus and but the politics I could never get rid of as an Algerian. This is for me a form of exile. I'm escaping. Europe. But it's a
1: self-imposed exile.
2: Yes, but I'm escaping Europe. I don't see myself there, but I don't see myself anywhere in the U.S. because I don't want to go further into this American
1: experience. I just want like my... So aren't we in a sense like the anti-traditional Durka? Like I think most Durkas end up in Europe, London specifically, Paris. Um, you have Berlin popping up now as a new city. You have these hubs and centers where you know at least... Significant, um, like educated Arabs of some sort of level, would want to end up in, and I think that D.C. is not that city. Yeah, it keeps it vague. To me, that's why I'm saying exactly, keeps it vague. But isn't that like an adult phase of rebellion? Like, are are we still rebelling against the norm? By I think it's not. To me, D.C. is just not
2: making a decision. It's the state of, not. De- like not having anything definitive. I get it. And that's why I think DC and, and I deserves, deserves f- better.
1: Is it and the I-
0: transience of the place? It's
2: not the transience because I love DC. Obviously what's consistent is me living in DC, but I could never detach myself from being Algerian. I get very defensive when people ask me if I go back home. I'm like, yes, of course I spend all my summers there. I'm very much Algerian. Why I'm from defensive? there, my family. Why? I think for lack of better words, when something stings and you want to prove that you're very much.
1: But why does it sting that you're not there?
2: because everything i was ever given is linked to Algeria all my opportunities I'm very much I feel like I owe see Algeria. had we known
1: how many years you've been in DC I don't think we, it's we kind I of understand I don't think that. it's
2: related I think it's also also part of my identity as an Algerian you you wake up in this life and they give you the battle of Algiers so there's a strong sense of being from there and and giving back and all the lives lost for your cause for you to be here. So, so there's a beauty and there's poetry in me being free from colonization and being and choosing to be in DC. But there is also what am I doing here? My capacities could be used back in Algeria. My parents are there. It's not that your typical immigrant story of
1: No, I'll tell you something. DC has become my home. I've completely went through that phase that you're talking about and I think it's about taking A choice. I think some people think that if you grow roots somewhere that you can't leave it anymore. And I think that's a false assumption because you can always pack up and leave. Of course. But I think that D.C. is a city that is definitely worth growing roots in. And I think I've been trying my hardest to have that here. And in a sense, in the last few years, uh, my country Yemen is in war. And I think being in D.C. allowed me an opportunity to speak up for people that I believe are victims of this war. And the proximity to D.C. was kind of, again, like D.C. became relevant through its politics. The same politics that I hated were opening doors again for peace for me or allowing me to kind of do something that I care about. And in that sense, I I keep circling and circling and circling. And, you know, it's always hard to, you know, for me, D.C., unlike the other Durkhas who have families here and have a culture and have developed a place to go, I think you don't really have much of, like you don't have roots here. Your family is away. Like the people that you would always love and love you back no matter what are away. Your childhood friends are not necessarily here. And so you're alone and you have to, you know, it's harder to start when you're older. But I think it still is a very forgiving place and a very welcoming place. And there is room for everyone. There is room for everyone. Um, But I think the hardest thing was, in school was seeing the Nuvarish Durkas. like I went to GW and the most disgusting thing was that um, there are a lot of students who had really expensive cars and they had a blog that documented these cars and they almost always the owners were Arab and I kind of didn't like and I still don't like the way that Arab culture contributes to the city necessarily like if it's investments and if it's restaurants that's a very much welcome development but if it's just an image or a stereotype then I kind of resent that a little bit because I feel like the contribution should be more significant and it should be you know I mean again DC is becoming kind of like New York it's becoming a melting pot
2: so has been a melting pot. Yes,
1: but it's, it's never been a stable melting pot. And I think that as of recently, with all this development taking place in the city, you have a lot of new young people and millennials moving into D.C., allowing it for the first time to be a stable city, not just a place for people coming and going. And I'm talking about D.C., not Virginia and Maryland. I'm talking about the District of Columbia specifically. Like you have parts of D.C., like Northeast and Southeast that for the first time are becoming like stable locations. And unfortunately to me, and I say very unfortunate because I really hate gentrification and what it's doing to people. Yet at the same time, I see the benefits of it for young millennials who don't have that much money. So it's like a double edged sword. And in a sense, like you have all these people moving, being pushed out, but then you have a population coming in that's most likely to stay and also establish something for itself. So I don't know how to feel about that. I don't Um, know. I'm still on the notion of home. I'm still
2: thinking of home yes the the notion of home like yes the city is developing as any other city eventually it means the nation's capital and DC's home no that's I wanted to go back to that when you say this is a phase and I'll grow out of this phase I think it's the opposite but isn't DC home for you when you move every two years of your life about the notion of home becomes a little bit more nuanced than just a place where you are physically
1: and when you stay and it doesn't
2: it doesn't create like a contradiction I'm not in conflict with it it's it's just a lot of identities at once so home is not where I'm joke it, it is but I never I never I never kept my distances with DC that's what you do when you have only two years to make friends and you yeah. know, get along with the city. You don't take your time to suss out whether... You don't invest yourself. No, it's the opposite to me. You, you learn how to invest yourself very quickly because you know you're not going to be there for long. So you have to make your best friends fast. You have to explore everything you can before you leave. Different coping mechanisms, I see. Yeah, or different approach. So to me, it was never a question of like realizing that DC was great and all of that. I always knew that because DC was always a, a, a mixture of everywhere I had ever been in Europe. Plus it was American and i was
1: incognito so the notion of home to me is a bit more of a concept than a place i get it but, but to me i made it a lot simpler and home is where i buy a plant and start growing it that's where home yeah becomes. well i have plants all over the world then so home is a bit that's okay it's a bit too. More, uh, and that's okay too and that's what's beautiful about identity it can be anything and everything that you want And I kind of love that. So Lilia called this, uh, the subject, the big elephant in the room. Yeah. And for some reason, that reminds me of the fables of uh, Khalil Dimna, which are written by Ibn Muqaffa that are originally Indian in format. And the only reason it reminds me of that is I saw a book once, and it, it, it tells fables of animals in it. And the book that I saw had a very beautiful elephant on the cover. And the minute she said the big elephant in the room, I kind of... Through my mind back to that image and I think it's beautiful because DC is definitely American and then the image that comes to my mind is something very different and oriental in a sense and I think those two images together for me is exactly what DC, my DC is and my DC is different than your DC than anybody else's DC. Um, so we've actually talked for quite some time today. Yeah, we have. You have prepared... An amazing segment for us today for Orientalism expressed <laughs> to be thrown back.
2: Who are you? That doesn't matter.
1: What does matter is that Mister Lacombe sent me here to give you boys some advice. Just you. Else, anyone else around? Mr. Lacombe said for me to tell you, um, camel jockeys. If you fuck with him, he's gonna cut off your balls and stick them up your ass. You guys eat this shit? I wonder if anyone can spot whose voice it is. It's
2: Chuck Norris, yo. It's Chuck Norris. Jack,
1: <laughs> who, who is Chuck Norris? So I actually know of Chuck Norris, but I don't know enough about Chuck Norris. Well, do you really have to do anything so,
2: given the scene? But He's like
0: an action movie hero slash TV character. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, I think was the name of the show he was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean like... Over the years, he kind of became a punchline or a meme, you know, as like the tough guy. An all-American guy. You ever see the, um, what's the the Dos Equis commercial, like the most interesting man in the world? That's kind of, to me, based on like the Chuck Norris thing, where it's like, I I don't even have a good example. So he's like John Wade.
2: Um, He's more like Steven Seagal.
0: Yeah, John Wayne (laughs) mixed with like Steven Seagal. Yeah, that, that. That's about right. He's
2: like a B-rated John John Sylvester Wayne, Stallone, yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger. These are the people who made it, and he's like right underneath. But I, I mean, I guess to some people, he's of the same. Um, so stature. let me let
1: me tell you something that I get over and over again in American action films. Like if if he goes like I'm gonna cut your balls and blah blah blah, it's like yeah, that's so macho. Like, yeah, really. <laughs> I'm gonna
0: take your pants off and. Uh, I know yeah. it's like. Uh, Do you see how we
1: treated the homos though? Yeah So that was so 20 years ago. So our audiences can't see the film. So he tried homos. Was with like, his hand. Yeah, he was like, "Ugh, you guys eat that." Yeah. And so will you? But in the, the thing a few is, years? Americans love hummus. Yeah, now they do, but before it was <laughs> It's very much a millennial product. And
2: check this out. The bad guys in the movie are Iranian. Oh, they are? But we are in the an uh, exaggerated Moroccan ca- cavern with some Well, belly the music, dancing. did you hear the music? Q yeah, in the Dirkazo.
1: Yeah. So I like that. Um, so Chuck Norris, who, by the way, is Republican and is really conservative, who had his first child out of marriage, is very much anti-Muslim. Um, he, fun story, first time I went to L.A., we were
2: at my parents' friend's house, and he had a Chuck Norris picture in his villa he was very proud of because he, he trained with him. So that was his claim to fame oh, in L.A. Oh, that's right.
1: So he had his own martial so arts school. So for- uh, it's called Chang Kok Oh well, that's his. That's his own school of More martial like arts. Chuck Kung Do. But no, it's well, Chung <laughs> Kung Do, is a Korean hybrid martial art style founded by American martial artist Chuck Norris. Which, by the way, he got a lot of medals from Korea. And which I part th- of Korea? Well, that's the thing. I mean, but they're still <laughs> kind of a Korea, a Korea. It's a one Korea, and he he used to he used to be in the Air Force. So in a ta-ta. sense, he is all American, so legitimate. I just think it's a for- unfortunate, you know, you know, he is a punchline, he is a meme, whatever. It's just kind of unfortunate that he has to adopt the new, you know, like today the new conservatives in in America have to say something that is Islamophobic to gain support from their voters which is really unfortunate and I think along that like not only are you Islamophobic because potentially you don't have to be like not all Arabs are Muslims and that's something that I think Americans still really struggle with that like not all Durkas are like I just met a Pakistani last week who's Christian and her entire family is Christian but nobody thinks that there are Christian Pakistanis nobody thinks that there are like Christian Arabs and it's like dude there are Christians there are Jews there are all kinds of different religions but it's become kind of common that if you want your voters to vote for you you have to say something like we will not allow islam to be here blah 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 and i think chuck norris being a republican himself and doing a segment like that is kind of endorsing that line of thinking which to me comes across as very ignorant and very like exclusive yeah, and especially what- that he capitalized on a
2: lot of foreign culture I mean, he's made himself through martial art or whatever. Yeah, and it's not even
1: all American, right? Like, it's a Korean technique that he fused with a bunch of other martial arts and decided to put a name on it and call it his. Yeah, he should have eaten more of the hummus. That sounds like appropriation, kind of. You have to try it twice. So, this is, I don't know what kind of wisdom that was, but... So I think this brings us to an end to our episode today. We talked about why we're here in D.C. This is something that is definitely going to come up over yes. and over again. Finally, But we, we did talk about bottle, the elephant in the room, you know.
0: We did not find out how old Lilia is, but that's okay. <laughs>
1: not how old Lilia is, or how long she's been in DC. Oh there's please, a, that's your scheme. Too. There's that's a lot, lot of like numbers, a lot of numbers that are missing here. That's
0: why someone said yes to the DC episode. And I, I was find just like, like I'm out.
1: missing. You know, age, home is like all conceptual. It's not where you are. It's everywhere you are. I you wish age right. was conceptual. I think <laughs> in a few years, you know, I kind of messed up because my my birthday is all over, like facebook and other accounts i should have really adopted your way because i think in a few years i'm gonna be like oh, i don't know let's keep age conceptual age is yeah, conceptual is. yeah but i took that decision
2: when i was 14 let's when was that exactly you know i was 14 <laughs> I, I decided that's it
1: all right well thank you guys for tuning in this is district Durkas and you're listening to us live from the full line hotel Full service fr- radio full come, service radio come back to our surf
0: Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at FullServiceRadio. Thanks for listening.